morning that the Lord Jesus Christ is precious uh, to you in your life. And if you don't really think about the Lord during your week, and we think about the Lord on Sunday, and that's about it, um, we can't really say that the Lord is precious to us. And if He was, uh, we, our life would be built around Him, centered on Him. It's a great challenge in that song. Um, the Lord ought to be precious to us for what He's done for us, to save us from our sin. Amen? But if we uh, lose sight of what a wonderful thing redemption is, uh, the value of Christ is diminished in our life. And, and I'm, I'm thankful for that song, just thinking about the words. And as I'm singing, like, do I really mean these words uh, as I'm singing them? And, and I thought of the Lord Jesus Christ and His love for me, and the Lord is precious to me. Uh, and I even had to pray in myself, Lord, help me. Help me to love you more. Help me to do better. Uh, it's a great challenge. Good song. I want you to take your Bibles to turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read a few verses in Matthew chapter 21 for our text today. What we're going to find as we read here is that the Lord Jesus is giving a parable. And sometimes Jesus used parables. And if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a, is a story. Uh, it's an illustration of a truth, and there's a central truth that the Lord is trying to teach, and He tells a story to illustrate this truth to help people understand what He's saying. Well, sometimes Jesus used parables to teach His disciples, and other times He used parables to reprove people, those who despised Him specifically, the Pharisees, the public, uh, the, the, uh, the Sadducees, the, the scribes, the religious leaders of Israel. And what we're going to find here in this parable is that Jesus is actually speaking to the chief priests and elders, and they didn't want him teaching in the temple. They didn't want him teaching other people. And what was happening was Jesus was gaining a following, and it was robbing them of their glory, robbing them of their honor. They didn't like that. And so they didn't want Jesus teaching in the temple. And so Jesus uses this parable that we're going to read here to show them these are the the religious people, to show them that it would be better to be the worst kind of sinner that this world could ever know, but eventually change your ways and be obedient to the Lord than to, quote, appear to be righteous before men, but ultimately be disobedient to God. And so let's look down to verse 28 of this chapter, Matthew 21 in verse 28. Jesus says these words, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily or truly I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, 
And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. Now, as I said, sometimes Jesus used parables to teach his disciples, but other times he used parables to reprove those who despised him. And so as Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, to the scribes, to the chief priests here, uh, as the Bible says, he's teaching uh, a, a simple truth, a reality of life. And the reality of life and the simple truth that he's teaching is it would be better to be the worst kind of sinner that you could think of, but later on repent and be obedient to God than to try to just keep appearing to be righteous before men, but ultimately be disobedient to God. That's why Jesus said the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. And then he said... At the end, he said, John came to you preaching in the way of righteousness, and you didn't listen to him. You didn't believe him. You had opportunity, but you didn't. When you saw it, you repented not that you would believe on him. And so we're going to talk about the story here, this parable of the two sons this morning. We're going to break it down and unpack it here and make some applications for, that are very relevant for you and me today. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us understand His Word. Heavenly Father, we pray today for Your grace. Lord, Your enabling. We pray that Your Spirit would give us understanding of Your Word today. Lord, that Your Spirit would make application of truth in the hearts of people. Or I can't see into the heart of people, and I don't pretend to. Lord, You see the heart. You know what people are thinking. You know what's really going on inside of the heart of men and women today. And Father, I pray that You would reveal truth and that there would be a humble response to you and to your word today as the word of God is opened the the law of liberty the mirror of God's word that it is that it would show us what manner of men we are and Lord I pray that we would respond to you uh, in a way that is humble and submissive to your will and may your will be done we pray in Jesus name amen first of all let's consider the story of the parable here in verse 23 uh, the Bible says, And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? All right, so the Bible tells us here that Jesus is teaching in the temple. And this is the context in which he tells this story, this illustration. Now, the day before... This Jesus officially had presented himself to Israel as their Messiah, as the prophesied uh, chosen of God that the scriptures prophesied concerning him. And we could go back to verses 1 through 9 and we would find here that Jesus... Uh, it's the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and Jesus rides in on, the, on, a, on a, a colt. And let's, in fact, let's just read it. Uh, verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto thee, he shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. 
And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put them on uh, and put on them their clothes and they set him there. And a very great multitude spread garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now that's very critical to understand what the people are saying. So Jesus, the day before this, had presented himself to Israel as their Messiah, as prophesied about in the scriptures. Then Jesus goes to the temple in verses 12 through 14, and he casts out the money changers, and he heals the blind and the lame. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, And Jesus went into the temple of God, and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. All right, so you got the picture of what's happening here. Jesus has multitudes of people following him. They're crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. It's very critical what they're saying. Basically, what they're doing is fulfilling prophecy. They are recognizing Jesus Christ as the chosen of God, the Messiah. That's what they're recognizing and claiming when they say these words. So then Jesus goes into the temple and he casts out the money changers. He heals the blind and the lame. This caused a problem. Go to verse 15 and verse 16. And when the chief priests and scribes saw... The wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? So it caused a problem here with the Pharisees, with the chief priests, with all the religious of Israel. Don't you understand what they're saying? What they're claiming you to be? How they're praising you? And Jesus says, yes, I understand. And haven't you ever read, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Well, the next day, Jesus went again into the temple, and he began to teach. And when he was... Come into the temple, verse 23 says. Go to verse 23 again. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And so they come into the temple as he's teaching And the chief priests and the elders came unto him, and they asked him this question. The question was, what authority do you have to do these things, and who actually gave you this authority? They challenged him. They challenged him right away. They wanted to know who gave him permission to, to teach in their temple. And the significance of that is that these men 
uh, on paper or, or in society would have been considered as, quote, official Israel. And under the Roman rule, officials in Israel, the, the leaders, the rulers, they would have been embodied by the temple officials. These were the ones who thought themselves to be important. These were the ones who are now hostile to and rejecting of Jesus Christ. And their challenge was, by what authority doest thou these things? Who gave you this authority? Their question is pretty simple. They said, by whose authority are you teaching these things? Because you didn't get it from us. They were official Israel. You see what they're saying? We didn't give you authority to do that. Well, Jesus answers their question with a question. In verse 24, And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. And so Jesus answers their question with a question, and he says, All right, um, you want to know by what authority I do these things? Let me ask you a question. The baptism of John, where did it come from? Did it come from heaven or did it come from men? Well, that stumped them because now they're in a dilemma. And they say, well, if we say it was from heaven, if we say it was from God, then Jesus is going to say, well, then why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you believe his teaching if it's really from God? Because you claim to be of God. You claim to be followers of God. Why didn't you believe it? But if we say it's of men... Well, then all the people are going to be mad at us because all the people hold John as a prophet. And that's going to make us look really bad. And so they reply, well, we cannot tell. They think they're clever. And then Jesus responds, all right, well, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus already knew what the answer was going to be. But here's the thing. The fact was, they already knew. They already knew that this was of God. They even said, no man can do the miracles that you do except God be with him. That was their mindset. The fact was they refused to believe what was true. After Jesus didn't answer their question, that's when Jesus gives this parable of the two sons. And he did it to reprove them. He did it to show them what they really were. So let's go back and just look again at the details of this parable. We find, first of all, in verse 28, that Jesus says, But what think ye a certain man? So it's a story. That's what a parable is. It's a story. It's an illustration of a truth. So Jesus tells this story. What do you think? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented 
and went. So verse 2 tells us that a certain man had two sons. Verse 28, rather. Verse 28 also says that the father came to his first son and he said, go work today in my field. Verse 29 tells us the son's reply. He said, I will not. But afterward, he went or he repented and went and did as his father had said. You get to verse 30 and it tells us that the father said the very same thing to the second son. And he came to the second and said, likewise. So he's saying, go work today in my field. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. So verse 30 tells us the son's reply. He said, oh, of course, of course I'll be obedient to you. Of course I'll go and do what you say to do. But then the Bible says he went not. Then Jesus asked the elders, which of these two did the will of their father? So Jesus presents the question. Here's the scenario. Which of these two actually did the will of their father? Verse 31. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they said unto him, The first, Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. So Jesus makes the application and he points it directly at those religious leaders. They said the first one did the will of God and Jesus was affirming that that was true. And so then Jesus points it right at them and he says, hey, you know what? That's just like the publicans and sinners. And they go into the kingdom of God before you do. Well, why was Jesus doing all of this? Well, look at verse 45 and verse 46. Skip down to there. The Bible says in verse 45, And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. What is their heart attitude here? Why is Jesus doing this? The Bible says that when they heard these parables, they knew that Jesus was speaking about them. And then the Bible says they sought to lay hands on him. They wanted to kill him. They hated him. And that is why Jesus was using parables and to reprove the chief priests, the Pharisees, the religious, because of their hard heart and their attitude toward God. Now, Let's consider the interpretation of the parable. What does it all really mean? Well, back in verse 28, when, the, when Jesus said a certain man had two sons, the certain man here is a picture of God himself. And it's the will of God that was manifest in the preaching of John the Baptist. Because Jesus said, John came to you preaching, but you didn't hear him. You didn't receive him. So the certain man is God himself. The first son in the parable represents for us or pictures the publicans and the harlots. Now, if you don't know what a publican is, a publican was a tax collector. The Jews hated publicans. They hated them, hated them, hated them. Not just because they took their money, but they also felt like they were loyal to Rome and disloyal to the Jews. They couldn't stand the publicans. Well, they also had a reputation. The publicans would often be cheats. 
They would take more than tax than, than what was actually owed, and they would keep it for themselves. And so that was another reason why they were so hated. They weren't, they weren't the, the, you know, the, the, the most upstanding, in quote, society. They didn't fit into the mold of the Pharisees and the publicans. The harlots, obviously, you know what those were. They were, they were, they were immoral people, and they were just so looked down on this class, these classes of people were so looked down on by the religious of Israel that they just thought that they were scum. They were the worst in society that the Jews could come, come up with. Does that make sense? In their thinking. They would have represented the worst kind of sinner in the Jew's mind. But the first son who said, I will not later on repented and went and did and obeyed the Father, God Himself. The second son, he represents the chief priests, the elders, who appeared to be righteous, but were actually disobedient to the will of God because they would not believe the preaching of John the Baptist or of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is illustrating here. It's why he said the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. You look righteous. You're religious. You appear to be righteous, but in reality, you're disobedient to the will of God. And so let's make the application then with this parable. In the immediate context, Jesus proceeds to set forth this parable illustrating how these official Israel, these outwardly religious and pious people were in fact rebellious against God Himself. Their actions of unbelief toward the preaching of John, their actions of unbelief toward the preaching of Jesus, and what did John the Baptist preach and what did Jesus preach? The Bible says that John the Baptist came re preaching repentance. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, or you'll all likewise perish. The preaching was repentance toward God. That was the preaching. In fact, when John was baptizing because of all the preaching that he had done, and people were saved, the Pharisees came to him, and they said, we want to be baptized. And John said to them, he said, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Show forth fruit, meet for repentance. Show me a repentant heart and a changed life. Then I'll baptize you. That was the preaching. And Jesus said, John came preaching. Was his message from heaven? Was it of God or was it of men? And the fact was they knew it was of God. And so Jesus is setting forth this parable to show that their actions toward the preaching and teaching of John and Jesus, which was repentance, it revealed their true colors. It revealed who they really were. And yet, this parable is still applicable to each and every one of us today. God doesn't want us to be hearers of His Word only but to be doers of it. And let me tell you, friend, words are not enough. People say they're Christians. People say that they're saved. People say they believe in Jesus Christ. They give all the words, 
But words are not enough. And that's what much of Christianity is. Just words. Actual obedience to the Word of God is something of a rarity amongst those who call themselves Christian. There might be some who sit in this room today. You call yourself a Christian. You consider yourself a Christian. But what about the rest of the days of the week? What about the rest of your life? Is there a heart that truly says, I want to be obedient to my Father, to God? How am I obedient to God? Is it my standard of what I consider to be obedient? How am I obedient to God? Jesus said, if you really love me, you're going to keep my commandments. My life is going to be lived according to this book. It is going to be structured on the things of the word of God. There's going to be a heart inside of me that says that is, that is submissive to the truth of God, that says I'm willing to change myself by God's grace and God's help to be what pleases him. That is the heart of somebody who's truly converted and been saved. Obedience is what God wants from each one. And this applies to the lost and to the saved. And so I want to look at the parable here a little deeper and see the two main principles that are evident in in the answers and the actions of these two sons of this story. First of all, I want you to consider with me the Father's command. Verse 28 says... The certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. What is the command of the father here to his son? Son, you're going to go and you're going to work in my vineyard today. Well, it tells us something about God. It tells us something about God and his sons, his children. God's work is for sons. God's work is for His children. John 1 and verse 12 says, To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe His name. Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2. And look in verse 10. Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. All right, so God has saved a person's soul. He saved your soul, not so that we could live life unto what pleaseth me, but God has ordained, uh, even before we were saved, that we would uh, live a life in good works unto the Lord, obedient to the will of God. We should walk in them. In other words, God has saved us to serve him. Saved that our life might be visible before men and cause them to also glorify God. Colossians verse, chapter 1 teaches us that. Colossians 1 and verse 10 says this. It says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, that's not the verse that I wanted, but maybe it's down here. The verse that I'm looking for, and I I don't have it here, I I must have misprinted it, but the verse that I'm looking for says that, that, uh, that people, by your good works, would glorify your Father, which is in heaven. In other words, God wants 
us as his children to work. But God's work belongs to sons, those who belong to the Lord. God's command to us is to work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God's work is for sons. God's command for us is to work. And God's desire is that we do the work today. In our parable, in our text, the father said to the son, Go work today in my vineyard. That's the will of God for his sons, for his children, is that God's work be done Today In Matthew chapter uh, 25, turn over there, Matthew chapter 25, and I want you to see verse 13. Matthew 25, verse 13, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The word watch is to be aware, to be awake, to be looking, okay? Watch, because you don't know the day or the hour that the Son of Man cometh. In other words, Jesus is coming again. Be aware, be alert, be watching for when the Lord comes again. But the word watch doesn't mean to just stand there gazing and looking. The word watch indicates being available, being serving, being diligent, because the Master is coming. Be busy at work in the work of the Lord. So, The father's command was for the son to go work. God's work is for sons, those who are saved. God has commanded us to work while we wait for his return. And God's desire is that we do it today. Now, the first son. Go back to our text. And I want you to note this about the first son. Because I want you to go to verse 29 with me. The first son answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. What we know here from this is that his answer to his father was wrong. But eventually, his actions were right. Does that make sense? His answer was, no, I'm not going to do that. I will not. It demonstrates a willful disobedience. Now, even though Jesus agreed that this first son ultimately did the will of his father, Jesus is not approving of his conduct in every respect. He notes, I will not. This this son said, you know what? No, I don't want to do it. I want to do my own thing. And there's people who live life who say, you know what? I don't even claim to be a Christian. I don't claim to be a God and believe in God. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. And you know what they say? At least I'm not a hypocrite. At least I'm not trying to put on a show. I'm honest about it. Well, there's a lot of people who say that hypocrites go to church. There's hypocrisy about them. But we need to also understand, he might not have been a hypocrite in what he was saying, but he was still disobedient and he was still rebellious before his father. And that's not okay. 
Rebellion is the natural inclination of a sinful heart. And some seem to imagine that they'll be forgiven as sinners because, you know what, I've not even pretended to be a saint. But the question is, and maybe the truth is, is a man less the enemy of God simply because he's outspoken about his lifestyle? Well, no, we're all enemies of God. We come into this world as an enemy of God. We're by nature sinners. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 that the wrath of God abides on us because we're the children of disobedience. John chapter 3 tells us we're condemned already. Go there. John chapter 3 and verse 17. John 3 and verse 17 the Bible says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, when we apply that back to what Jesus is saying in the parable about the Pharisees, that He said to them, You didn't believe the preaching of John. Well, according to John 3 and verse 18, what did that make them? Condemned. Condemned already because they did not believe. They understood what Jesus was saying. The first son, he said, no, in his rebellion, I don't want to. But later on, the Bible says he repented. He changed his mind. He changed his heart because of regret. Later on, he repented of that, and he went and did what his father had asked him to do. Maybe he thought about his attitude. Maybe he thought about how he had probably hurt his father. He was sorry for his rebellious heart. And the Bible says he changed his mind and went and did as his father had asked. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, that godly sorrow works repentance, a change of mind and a change of heart. The Bible tells us that this young son went and did what his father had said. Now he obeys. His obedience was proof of his repentance. His obedience was proof of his changed heart. There was a change in his attitude, and that led to a change in his actions. The change in his actions was proof that his heart had changed. Now, let me make the application. Because there's many who say that they are saved, that they're Christian people. There's many who say that they love God, but in their works, in their daily life, they deny Him. There's no desire to obey God's commands. If they were honest, they live life according to what pleaseth me. They decide to do what they want to do. There's no real thought toward God and being obedient to His Word. I'm good in my religion. I'm good where I stand. But in reality, they're, and they say, oh, I love God. But in reality, their life denies Him. John chapter 14. Turn over there since we're in John. Just look in John chapter 14. And verse 15, the Bible says, John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. 
We, we talked about this before. In 1 John chapter 2, it's a very similar statement toward the end of your Bible there. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse 3, 1 John 2 and verse 3, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Here's how I know that I'm saved. Here's how I know that I know God, if we keep His commandments. And he that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. The heart attitude is to be obedient to God if we truly know him. And this, what we read here in 1 John chapter 2, is exactly what the second son was like. John says in 1 John 2, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's exactly what the second son in our text was like. If you go back to our text in Matthew 21, in verse 30, And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Notice the second son's answer and his response to the father. He says, I go, sir. Why is that sir added in there? He's very respectful to his father, right? He's definitely putting on a show here to try to look and appear to be a certain way. He appears to be respectful, and his answer is one of obedience. He says, I go, sir. A respectful answer to his father, but then the Bible says, and went not. Here is the direct disobedience to the father's command, while all the while putting on a show that I love and respect my father. See, This was his true heart condition. He gave lip service to the Father, but his heart was actually far from the Father. And Jesus makes the application in verse 31. He says, Whether of them twain did the will of his Father, they, that's the Pharisees or the the chief priests and the elders, they said unto him, The first, Jesus saith unto, unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye may believe in him. Jesus says, John came preaching repentance to you. The publicans and the harlots, they're the, they're the ones who, who are like that first son who said, no, I don't want anything to do with that. But later on, their heart was convicted over their condition, and later on, they repented of their sin, and they believed on Jesus Christ. Amen. Those Pharisees, they considered 
the publicans and the harlots to be the chiefest of sinners. Initially, they wanted nothing to do with it, but later on they repented of their sin and they believed. And Jesus says, you, on the other hand, profess that you love God, you give lip service to God, but your heart is wicked and corrupt. You've had opportunity. John came preaching to you. When you saw it, that means they understood it. You refused to believe because of the hardness of your heart. And here's the application and the conclusion of the whole thought. Words are never enough. There's some who claim to be a Christian. There may be some who sit in this room. You say that you're saved. You say that you have a relationship with God. But your words are not enough. God is not listening to what you say. He's looking at your heart. In Matthew chapter 7, flip back over there just a couple pages. To Matthew chapter 7. In verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight or narrow is the gate. Narrow or hard is the gate. Narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. But then skip down to verse 21, because you notice how Jesus says that many go in the way of destruction, but few find the way of life. In verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. In other words, not everybody that professes to know me not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, they profess that they know me, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name we've done many wonderful works? Look at all my religious effort. Look at all my religious work. I go to church. I claim to know Jesus. I do all of these things. In verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. A person can be very religious in word and even in deed, but also be very lost. That's what the Pharisees were. They were outwardly religious. They had all the religious works. They had all the things that they did to make them appear to be righteous and appear to be Christian. There's a lot who sit in churches all across this country today who have the same attitude as the Pharisees. They keep up an appearance. They want everybody to think that they're saved. They say all the right words. They have the right lingo. They do this and they do that. And they say, see, I appear this way. But all the while, they have a different life that they live that nobody else knows about. Their heart attitude is not one of obedience toward God. 
their heart is actually in rebellion to God. But we have to appear righteous before men. A person can be very religious in all the things they say, all the things they try to do, but they're very lost. It's real repentance toward God that brings acceptance with God. What do you have today? Do you have some religion? Or do you have genuine salvation that has changed your very life? All those publicans and harlots, their life was changed. Their life was different after they believed on Jesus. That's what real conversion and real salvation does. It changes a person. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If you're in Christ, you're a new creation, a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things become new. It's not about words. It's not about religious lingo. It's not about religious deeds. It's about a repentant heart that changes you from the inside, which eventually works to change you on the outside. Jesus said the first son, he didn't want anything to do with it. But he repented. He changed his mind and his heart, and later he was obedient to God. You, on the other hand, you're like the second son. You appear to be this way, but your heart is far from God. Ultimately, you're in disobedience and rebellion to the will of God. And Jesus said many, many in that day are going to be just like that. And I'm going to profess to them, I never knew you. What do you have today? Do you have religion or do you have genuine salvation? Is your heart right toward God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use your word today to help us to see what we are. And again, I don't know the hearts of men. I can't see the Lord, you do. And you know if there are those who have professions, but they're just religious words. You know if there are those who are like these Pharisees that appear righteous before men. But there's not acceptance with God. Lord, you know if there's a genuine heart of repentance or not. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would just take your word and you'd apply it. And if there are some here today who've never been truly saved, they've never been born again, they've never repented of their sin toward God, put their faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that they would come to a place of believing today. And Jesus said of these Pharisees, you had opportunity when you saw it, you didn't believe. And Lord, I pray that there would be a humble heart, unlike that of the religious, the Pharisees who hated Jesus. They had an opportunity even there as Jesus was talking about them. They perceived that Jesus was talking about them. God in His graciousness was giving them another opportunity right there. 
to change their mind, to repent, to admit what they were, to truly become a son of God. But in their pride and in their rebellion, they continued to reject Jesus Christ. May that not be true of anyone here today. May there be a humble heart of repentance toward you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.